ultimately, I, I think college football is headed for the cliff. Welcome in. It's July 20th. Always college football. Today's Wednesday. It's day number three of SEC Media Days here from Atlanta, Georgia. We have a great show lined up for you today. The Mouth of the South, Paul Feinbaum, will join the show. He, of course, is the unofficial official mayor of the SEC Media Day circuit. He's been coming since 1985, so he'll tell us some great stories and tell us a little bit about the history of this event, along with some of his most interesting interactions in the time that he's been covering it. We're also going to talk about why today might be the most interesting day of the SEC Media Day circuit. Why? It's because the defending national champions are here, and I feel like we've talked more about South Carolina than we have Georgia. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. The Georgia Bulldogs are coming off their first national championship in 42 years. And yet, I feel like there's very little conversation surrounding it. And what conversation there is, is basically centering around problems that don't really exist. We want to make it out to say that Stetson Bennett, you know, he's going to get replaced. It's going to be Carson Beck, or it's going to be Brock Vandergriff, two five-star guys that looked the part that were highly recruited and highly touted coming out of high school. But Stetson Bennett coming off of a national championship in which he had two, not one, but two fourth quarter touchdown passes to put the game on ice still does not get the credit that he deserves. Remember, last year he finished third in the country when it comes to total QBR. I'm not saying that I would replace him with any of the guys in the top two. I would. I think that C.J. Stroud, who finished one, Bryce Young, who finished two, are both better players than Stetson Bennett. But for him not to be getting the credit that he deserves, even from his own fan base, is pretty jaw-dropping. And then we talk about all the pieces that were lost in the NFL draft. When you look at what Georgia did in April and all the great players that left that roster, including six, six just on the defensive side that went in the first round, it's pretty difficult to anticipate them being able to replace that productivity. But when you look at the guys that are actually coming back on all three levels of defense, you should feel pretty good. Nolan Smith, at outside linebacker, has played a lot of football, should be a very disruptive dude there on the edge of the defense. How about Jalen Carter, who might, might, I'm not going to say he was, but I'm saying he might have been their most disruptive defensive lineman at times last year. And that's a defensive line that included the first overall pick. So when you look at Jalen Carter there in the middle of that defense, you look at Nolan Smith on the edges, you look at some of the pieces in the back, including Keely Ringo, who had that amazing pick six to put the game on ice there in Indianapolis, and Chris Smith back at safety. They actually have enough leadership, I think, at all three levels defensively to be able to fill those voids admirably. Will they be as good? I don't know. But do they need to be? We're talking about a group that allowed, what, 10 points per game? Some absurd number, and to run the football on them was an almost impossible task. So defensively, they should be just fine. Then you look back at what they have offensively. If the defense struggles, if the defense isn't what it was, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Because offensively, I think you can make a strong case that their personnel, especially at the skill positions, might actually be slightly improved. We know Brock Bowers is off the charts good. We know Darnell Washington at tight end is also ridiculously talented. That's a great one-two punch for Stetson Bennett at tight end. But now you add Eric Gilbert, formerly the top five-star prospect in the country, was at LSU, transfers to Georgia, was ineligible last year, or was away from the team last year. Now he's in the mix. 
had a couple touchdowns in the spring game. And if he's in shape and if he's capable of playing, that gives you three tight ends that match up maybe with every NFL team. That's right. Every NFL team would love to have those three guys out there at tight end with their versatility, their matchups that they can create, and their willingness and capability to play at the end of the line of scrimmage. So I think that that monstrous group at tight end is going to make this offense very difficult to match up with because what do you guard a tight end with? Do you cover him with the corner? Perfect, we'll run it. You cover him with the safety? Perfect, we'll throw it. You cover him with the linebacker? Perfect, we'll throw it. Tight ends are as difficult a matchup as you're ever going to find, and I think Georgia, you can make a strong case that they have by far the best group in the country. Wide receiver should be just fine, and running back should be just fine with Milton and McIntosh. Those two guys have played a lot of football and should be able to do enough to replace the key pieces that were Zamir White and James Cook. So why is nobody talking about Georgia? And this is the defending champs. And I feel like we've spent more time this week at SEC Media Days talking about what Arkansas might be or what South Carolina might be or what the new head coaches and Brian Kelly and Billy Napier might do in their first year. And yet, there's the national champ just sliding along under the radar, ready to burst onto the scene yet again when they get the opportunity to play against Oregon in week one right here in Atlanta. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com here with the most popular guy at media days without question i'm not sure he needs an introduction he's affectionately known as the mouth of the south he's paul feinbaum mouth of the south how'd we come up with that uh, it started many years ago. Interestingly, uh, there were many other Mouth of the South. There's a wrestler who was a Mouth of the South. Really? Ted, Ted Turner, who started CNN, uh, was also called the Mouth of the South. So I, did we rip it off? Yes. Do we care? No. <laughs> is there no, there's no trademark on it, is what you're telling I don't think me. there is. Yeah, you're not concerned if there was one. No. It's no big we, deal. We have lawyers. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Absolutely. But Paul has been covering the SEC, has been coming to this event for, what, 10, 15 years? Yeah. Um, first media days was, I believe, 85. 85. Yeah. It was in Birmingham and uh, at the, with, I think, the Hilton Hotel now. And it was, uh, so to show you how crazy this event was, I think it was 80, uh, let's see, 90, I guess. Steve Spurrier's first year, they used to have a, a golf tournament on Wednesday or Thursday in the morning. And then they'd have, and, and Spurrier came in the night before and it was at Bentbrook, which is a really good public course. Right. And Spurrier played in the golf tournament. Can you imagine here, one of these guys <laughs> going out. coming in the night before? I mean, 
going to a golf tournament and hanging out with five hours with a bunch of sports writers? That would be, uh, that'd be unique. I would imagine the one-liners from Coach Spurrier that day were unique. But uh, it's always been, uh, it used to be, a, I mean, you could grab a coach and maybe go get some coffee. Uh, I, I remember talking to Phil Fulmer once uh, off camera about how, how much of a cheater he thought Mike Dubose was. And, <laughs> um, it was funny because uh, somebody had set it up and he said, I, I, I said, I was, you know, I'm, I'm just looking into the story. He said, I'll tell you the guy you need to talk to. And, uh, well, actually, I got the story backwards. I called Spurrier because Spurrier had called Dubose out. And he said, the guy you need to talk to is Philip. And did, did, was, that a, was that a profitable? It, it, it was such a good meeting at Media Days that uh, I started talking about it. And uh, Ronnie Cottrell, who was uh, Mike Dubose's recruiting coordinator, only sued me over it. <laughs> sued? So, um, fortunately, uh, he dropped the suit. Uh, in exchange for some testimony that I gave uh, him. <laughs> oh my goodness. Mildly so, transactional. So let me let me get this straight, okay? So at this inaugural media days back in 1990. Well, it started in 85. 85, but yeah. the one that started to transition to a little bit more formal yeah. media day. Uh, yeah, back in 90, he was playing golf and Spurrier said, you need to talk to Fulmer. Fulmer calls out Dubose about cheating. Yeah, this was in 99, 2000, somewhere in there. <laughs> Goodness. And now here we are in yeah, 2022. No, it, I mean, we, we, it's a great event. Uh, don't misunderstand me. And, I, and I'm not one of these guys, oh, man, much better the way it used to be. It wasn't. It was, it was a bunch of overweight sports writers, you know, smoking cigars uh, and, you know, hungover. You know, some, some, <laughs> some had showered, some hadn't. And, the, and here we are. I mean, this is a button-down event. Yeah, look at us, look at us now. Uh, a young Paul Feinbaum back in, say, 1995, if given access and platform to ask some of these coaches, uh, what were some of the questions that you would have asked if you were out there today and it wasn't under the same spotlight as the 1990-something well, Greg, media I, I've day. asked my last difficult question at SEC Media Days, and I don't need to remind you of, of when it occurred and, and to whom it was with. <laughs> remind me of the altercation there. Yeah, and, and you know, that is something that, that happened, uh, I believe, 2015, 16. I really don't even remember, but uh, a couple of players at Alabama had been arrested in Louisiana, and you know, one had a gun in his car. He, claimed he'd fallen asleep. I don't remember all the details. And, and what I didn't understand, and, and I'll explain this in a minute, at, at the big press conference, the one that we televised, we're all sitting there. And I vaguely remember you being on the set. Oh, I was on the set, <laughs> sitting on my hands and making sure that my microphone was completely shut down. I wasn't no part of that. And I was next to Saban. And the first question that of Saban from the room came from Touchdown Alabama, which is a great organization. And you know, what, what he thought who would be the starting right tackle. And <laughs> next one was even more uh, obscure. And, and, and they came back to us on set and, and Dari, Dari Noka said, I mean, it was, it's amazing that nobody was gonna ask the question. Five minutes later, here comes Saban. And Dari asked the first question. And then I followed up and, he, and Saban uh, gave a Typical Nick Saban response that you, you've heard a million of. And I interrupted him. And have you ever seen anybody interrupt him? At a, I, at a, I, I have not. So he didn't like it, and he expounded on his answer. And I, I interrupted his 
his obfuscating and bloviating, and he, he basically said, well, you want to see this guy suspended? And I, said, and I came back. I said, no, I don't. And it went back and forth. And the second it was over, I mean, everybody was holding their breath. And we were, all the media was behind us. I didn't realize a, a crowd had gathered. I, figured, I didn't, wasn't thinking about it. And he started chewing me out even worse. And somebody from AL.com had the video, and it, it, it went crazy. So uh, about an hour later, I'm going to the washroom, and he stops me again. I mean, he, he said, you don't know what it's like to be a parent. I, I just, I, at that point, I'm just nodding my head, and he's screaming and hollering. Finally, he left, and I, can't, I think it was, I don't know if it was Josh or, or Puritan that was his guy at the time. I guess it may have been Jeff. And I think he realized, I mean, I'm, I'm getting calls from Colin Cowherd, uh, Jim Rohn. I mean, everybody's calling, hey, it's about time you stood up to that guy. It's about time somebody, meanwhile, the Alabama fans are all just, you know, excoriating me for, you know, being taken behind the woodshed by Nick Saban. Um, I don't really, I don't really know or even care anymore. I finally uh, go in to get something to eat and my phone rang and it was, uh, and I didn't answer it because it was like, I think it was Puritan. I said, I mean, I, I, I said, screw these guys. I'm not dealing with them anymore. I've had enough. Um, and finally, uh, the coordinator of SEC Nation came and said, you know, Nick Saban's trying to get a hold of you. And I'm like going, well, so what? I mean, I just, I just, I've been chewed out by him four times today. Like, why would I want to talk to him again? And this went on for about an hour. And finally, uh, someone a little more senior at the company uh, came up and said, uh, we all think it's a good idea if you call him back. So he did. So I called him back, and it was quintessential Nick Saban. Hey, buddy. Uh, how you doing? I said, <laughs> doing fine, coach. <laughs> he said, I, instead of saying, I, I'm sorry, I apologize, uh, maybe we're both at fault, maybe you're at fault, maybe, he said, hey, buddy, I hope you don't think I'm mad at you. That's what he said. I go, I'm good. I'm fine. So well, good. I just don't, I just don't want you to think that, you know, I mean, we've been friends a long time. Yeah. And, you know, you've been great for us and uh, you always help the program and you mean a lot to college football. <sighs> I said, well, thank you, coach. And I, I, I mean, it was, it was utterly bewildering uh, having that experience that so many people like you have dealt with on a much worse basis. No, no, um, but it, it really, uh, and I'm not, self-aggrandizing here, but it was the story of media days. Nothing else came close. It was the story of the last 10 media days. I remember it vividly. <laughs> but, and I, uh, it was quite something. I ran into Terry Saban at the uh, national championship game that year. I, yeah. And she was at a, we were, we were, I was in the restaurant and she was having trouble getting in. And I, and I, the guy knew, and I, I helped her get in, which sounds crazy, but see, they didn't know who she was in Tampa. Right. And she comes over and she says, by the way, I've been meaning to call you. She said, you have no idea. That was the best thing that ever happened to you and the best thing that ever happened to Nick. Because really? everybody uh, you know, knew that Nick was standing up for the players. It right? helped in recruiting. Yeah. And it helped you because it looked like you, know, you were willing to stand up to him. I said, well, <laughs> that's, not, that's never happening <laughs> again. <laughs> that was it. It's a one-time thing. No more. Oh, my goodness. What a story. Uh, Paul, as we transition now to current day in college football, seen some softball questions out there lobbed at commissioner Sankey seen some softball questions lobbed up there to some of the coaches you know let's say you were in 
the media group in the bullpen, if you will. What would be some of the questions that you wanted to have answered over the last couple of days? I don't know, because, Greg, the media is so different. I asked Coach Bryant three questions at his retirement announcement, and I'm embarrassed about it to this day because they were, they were tough questions. Uh, one of them was, Coach Bryant, do you, do you regret uh, after winning uh, your 315th game that you came back for another year? Because he, he lost three of his last four games, yeah. uh, including uh, for the first time at home in 25 years to Southern Miss and to Auburn. Um, so I, I learned at an early age that if you're going to ask a tough question, you're almost better off doing it in a different setting. Sure. Because otherwise it looks like you're just grandstanding, <laughs> like I was with Saban that day. <laughs> but I later found out one other thing about Saban, not to deviate, but he was upset with me because he thought, uh, little known secret, every year before media days, before he comes out to the big room, he brings a bunch of writers up to a suite and he gives them what, what, how he really feels. And he had talked about that up there. So none of the top 20, 30 writers in America were going to ask him. They didn't need to. Right. And I didn't know that because I was on another, I was doing one of the ESPN shows. Sure. One of the 4,015 they had at the time. <laughs> um, and what, that, that's why he was so upset because he thought, he, he told some, uh, Jeff or Josh, he said, I thought I saw Paul in there. Yeah, you know, why, why would you do that? Uh, so anyway, it doesn't matter now, but uh, I would, I would, I mean, I'd like to know from Greg Sankey, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's get to the point. I mean, what's the deal with Notre Dame? Have you spoken to Jack Swarver? Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned phone calls. Uh, from whom? Uh, you know, I think, I think Saban's a little bit different because you're, you know, you, he, he is at such an exalted state right now that those type of questions aren't going to happen. Right. Unless something you know, incredible occurs where you really do need a specific question. Yeah. When, when you reference where we're at with Notre Dame and just the current state of realignment and things of that nature, where do you think we're going to get to here in the near future? I think we know super conferences. That goes sure, without saying. Sure. But what does that mean for the other conferences that aren't the Big Ten and the SEC? There is a chance for a third conference to be watchable. And, you know, is that some variation of the ACC and the Pac-12? Mm. I mean, they could cobble a deal together where you get Clemson and Oregon and Washington and Miami, you know, games that, are, that you would like to do. Sure. Uh, as opposed to Washington State and, and Boston College. Um, but... Ultimately, I, I think college football is headed for the cliff. Really? Um, I don't think it's going to happen immediately, uh, but things move so slowly. Things uh, don't happen quickly in, in regard to change. And, and at some point, I, I, I do believe there is going to be a serious disconnect between the fans and, and the game, not the players, but the game and the people that run it. Because you know, we always look, well, you know, Popularity polls for politicians continues to plummet. I think the same is going to be said of college administrators in the future. Uh, fans love the players. They love the coaches. But they're, I think they're going to start turning on the, the presidents and even the commissioners. Yeah. Well, you reference the commissioners. I mean, of the Power Five, assuming we still are considering the Power Five the Power Five, I mean, only two of the five Power Five commissioners have a lengthy college background. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Brett Yormark coming from Rock Nation, uh, George Klyovkov coming from 
uh, I believe MGM or something along the lines of that. Kevin Warren coming from the NFL. What does that say about where we're heading as a sport? Well, and every one of these guys is is, is extremely talented and, and flashy. And I mean, again, I mean, I, I, if I'm sitting there as a president of the Big 12, I'm thinking, who do I want to run a league that just lost its two best members? Let's get somebody who is uh, representing Beyonce and, and Jay Z last week. Uh, that makes common sense. Uh, he may be, be great, but, but he, you're only as good as your product. Uh, I have, some commissioners can make a difference. I mean, obviously, we all know Greg Sankey is probably the smartest guy in the room. And, and when, you, when you're smart, when you have vision, you can kind of see way down the road. Uh, you know, Warren has the benefit of Southern Cal calling him. Uh, you know that story better than I do, but I don't think Kevin Warren, I mean, he, he knew they were vulnerable, but yeah, I mean, if, if you're really, if you study this on a second-to-second -second basis, that was not impossible to predict. What, what Notre Dame is a little more difficult because you just don't know what, they, they don't think the same way we do. I, I think the SEC is a perfect landing spot for them, but there's so much history up there. there, there, there there's the turn of the nose toward the academics at, at se several schools down here that the Big Ten is a better marriage if they, if they went somewhere. But what about the arrangement. We've seen now the last couple of days, $75 million is what Notre Dame's trying to get yeah. on their next media deal. Can they get that with five ACC games a year, or do they need to align from a scheduling standpoint with a Big Ten or an SEC? They can't get that in the ACC. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I'm sure I've popped off in the past about the ACC, but you know, the, the ACC is, is in trouble uh, because of the deal. The, the deal I mean, I, we, we all have friends, maybe ourselves, where you cut a contract and then you complain about it, and ultimately you signed it. Uh, they signed that deal, uh, and and they're dealing with powerful companies like ESPN and Fox and others, and and you know, and they're as good as their product too. And their product is is it's good football. Don't misunderstand me, but outside of a handful of those schools, you're not going to get eyeballs over there versus what you're about to see in the Big Ten and the SEC. Greg Sankey preached on Monday when he took to the podium. He, he said there's really no urgency right now as far as expansion. Um, I read that to believe that outside of Notre Dame, there's really not a brand that would be worth adding at this point, not especially if they're tied up in a different league. The ramifications of having to buy out that team from the said contract and grant of rights just wouldn't make sense. So if you were, and let's say we fast forward 10 years down the road, if you're there and there's a lot of free agents on the open market, who would you go after first if you were Greg Sankey? Uh, aside from Notre Dame, I, I think Clemson today is the most attractive. But, but Greg, I was I was on a show earlier with one of your friends, uh, and he was arguing that you know SC because of Lincoln Riley, and Mario Cristobal because of uh, Miami, Mi because Miami of, because of Cristobal sure. are, are so valuable. And you're thinking they neither one may be there in ten years. You you can't just you know hire a, a team based on the coach that you have. You have to look a little bit farther down the road and look how difficult it's been to digest Oklahoma and Texas over right. the last 52 weeks. We're still not even there yet. So you try adding Clemson or North Carolina or someone like that. So the, what you almost need is a, is a big bang effect where the, the whole thing just blows up and it's easier to grab than trying to go through the nuances of, 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 of tortious interference. Do you think there could ever be in a situation in which the Big Ten and the SEC would collaborate? Because it certainly doesn't feel like, it feels like there's no love lost right now between the two leagues, but at some point, it feels like they almost have to come together. There isn't, uh, and there's a lot of tension, and it's, it's, it's Shakespearean in, in, in the history of it. We'll save that for a book. But 
ultimately, uh, I think they have to come together. Uh, and for, to, for the CFP to work, you are probably going to need the Big Ten, uh, the SEC, and one other component, Notre Dame, to agree on something. Because you, you know, a lot of people say, well, the SEC is going to play the ACC. It, excuse me, the SEC is going to play the Big Ten for the national championship. But you want Notre Dame involved. They're, they are important. They're not as important as they think they are, nor are they as important as they used to be, but they're still a major player. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's fascinating what's going on with Notre Dame. And I think if I were them, I'd just hold out as long as humanly possible. Would that be the advice you'd give Jack Swarbrick? Uh, I think he probably has a pretty good idea. He's, 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 Jack is rarely not the smartest guy in the room when he's in a room. <laughs> uh, so I, I think what, what Greg Sankey and, and Swarbrick have done from three weeks ago is they've calmed everyone down. Uh, and now they're doing the work. I mean, I, I say this about Commissioner Sankey, and I have great affection for him, and I know you do. He was up at, uh, at his lake home for three weeks. He wasn't, he wasn't fishing. Uh, he may, well, he may have been fishing, but I, I think they got a lot done uh, outside of the cameras and the lights that we see right outside the store. So right now, if I'm going to hold your feet to the fire for a half second before I get you out of here, you're not a stranger to make headlines? And that's what you do. You're, you're the best when it comes to those things. Where do you think ultimately Notre Dame, if they join a conference, where do you think they will join? I think Notre Dame will end up in the Big Ten uh, it, if, they, if they go somewhere because it makes too much sense. And you know, I, don't, I don't know what the history is with Newt Rockney and Fielding Yost and things that happened uh, even before I was born. Um, we're talking 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago, but it it is, it's time, uh, and I love them in the SEC, but I don't think, I don't think they're going to be able to convince the people that, that really matter at Notre Dame, and that's the administration, that this is where they should be. It, it, it just, it would reek to some people up there as just a, a pure money grab. And Notre Dame, even though everything it, it does football-wise is, is about money, doesn't want anybody else to know that. <laughs> Fair enough, Paul. Well said. Great perspective, and we appreciate so much taking the time. I know you really have any TV today, so a couple minutes here. And this there, was so uh, by far the most enjoyable thing I've done today. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Thank Thanks you. for being with My us. My pleasure. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. What a great show today. We appreciate Paul Feinbaum joining us. <laughs> I remember that interaction. With Nick Saban like it was yesterday, it was just so uncomfortable. I don't know how else to describe it. It was the most uncomfortable moment I think I've ever had on television. I just wanted to crawl under the desk and, like, totally remove myself from the situation. <laughs> I think we all felt that way. Dari felt that way. I felt that way. Everyone else that was on the set felt that way. And Paul was puffing his chest. He loved it. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty wild interaction, that's for sure. So great reminiscing about some of the times that he had covering this event over the years. Please like, rate, and subscribe. We really appreciate your interaction. It helps us out a lot. It helps out the channel. 
If you could, if you could hit us up in the comments section on the ESPN YouTube channel, that would be really beneficial. We want to interact with you. We want to find out how we can get better so that we can tailor the show to how it is that you want to consume it. You can hit us up also via Gmail at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at alwayscfb. For all of us here at Always College Football, we appreciate you being with us. I'm Greg McElroy. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.